Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yuma, daf Nun Zion, page 57. The top of the Gemara here, or the staff, I should say, has an interesting discussion around the concept of Hekesh, right? They spent the previous couple of dafim trying to work out how do we know how many sprinkles of blood we do with the Dhamma the Par and then the Dhamma the Seir, and connecting those psukim to understand that it's the one above and the seven below. And so now the Gemara wants to discuss, which is that initial discussion took place about the sprinkling of the blood in the Kaddish Kedoshim. And then there was a second round of sprinkling that took place um, in the uh, in the Heichal. So in other words, you had a total of four sprinklings altogether, right? Once of uh, the par first and then the Seyar in the Kodesh Kedoshim, then the Kohen Gadol would move outside and do it again with the par in the Seyar, the same type of thing, right? Achat going upwards and then Sheva going downwards, seven going downwards. So the Gemara wants to ask the following question. Can we learn something that was derived through Hekesh and then learn a second thing through Hekesh again? So in other words, the premise of this question is, is that we learned many of these halachot about how the sprinkling was done in the Kodesh Kedoshim through Hekesh. And now we're trying to say we're going to learn what happens in the Heichal through a Hekesh between the Kaddish Kadoshim and the Heichal. And so basically what they're saying is it's too much Hekesh, right? You can't learn a Hekesh from a Hekesh. So the Gemara answers, Hai Heimenu Vidavar Acher Hu. So this, right, this whole thing about sprinkling in the Kaddish Kadoshim, right, it's not really learned from Hekesh, but, you know, Heimenu, right, it's it's from its own. It's from its own Pasuk, Vidavar Acher Hu, right? And a little bit also from Hekesh. In other words, it's saying, it's not full Hekesh, below Habe Hekesh. So therefore, we don't really consider it to be Hekesh. So you're learning the part about the Kaddish Kedoshim by itself through Psukim. And then the second part is learned through Hekesh. So it's not Hekesh from Hekesh, so it's okay. Then the Gemara says, Hanicha Laman Amar Lo Habe Hekesh. The person who holds that if it's only partially Hekesh, we don't consider it fully Hekesh. El Laman Amar Habe Hekesh, my Ekelamemar. But according to somebody who says that partial Hekesh is like full Hekesh, what would you say? So it's interesting to me that we don't name the person here who holds this, right? It's just Laman de Amar, right? That there's somehow some sort of uh, vague, you know, some people hold this way as how we can interpret or learn things out with Midrash Halacha. Some people hold another way, but they're not ascribing it to a particular person. So the Gemara says here, that when we talk about the second Hekesh, right, it is in places that are being derived from one another. So in other words, the first Hekesh, right, the one that we talked about in the Kaddish Kedoshim, had to do with connecting the blood of the Par with the blood of the Se'ar, right? That, that's what was being compared. But here, the second Hekesh has to do with comparing places, so in other words, since the Hekesh is about a totally different topic, this would be an, an acceptable Hekesh. So using two different, in other words, the Gemara is sort of presenting a few different options about why this Hekesh would be allowed. And now they're going to give even another answer. If you want, you could say, that the, uh, you know, that the law of this outer part, the outer part of the sanctuary 
is being derived from the inner part. And really, it's all the Beit HaMikdash. So it's all considered to be one unit. So what was going to be true of the inner part would be true of the outer part. So we're going to allow that there's going to be Hekesh there. I think those of you who've been learning with us long enough know these meta discussions that appear in the Gemara itself, right? Where they really sort of take a step back um, and stop being so granular. And these last few Dapin have been very, very granular, right? Because one thing that we and you and I have been really focused on is that we see clearly that there sort of have been a loss of Misora, right? Loss of sort of what exactly happened on Yom Kippur in the Beit HaMikdash, uh, sort of trying to reestablish it through uh, you know, the Midrash Halakha that they can get from the Pesukim itself. Um, and it's very, very detailed. And now the Gemara is sort of taking a step back and saying, like, is this an okay to actually way to learn it? And I find that to be an interesting question, because one thing that we had mentioned is, is that it was surprising to us that around the issue of the sprinkling, there actually wasn't a lot of discussion about maybe it was this way, maybe it was that way. It seemed pretty straightforward. There were like a few areas that were fuzzy. But the basic idea of it was really pretty well understood of how the sprinkling was done. And now the Gemara is sort of taking a step back to be like, you know, sorry, let me before I get to that second part, you know, as opposed to the issue of the, you know, the the pillars where they would place the blood on it. Like there, there was a whole discussion. Did you have one? Did you have two? You know, one for the blood of the par, one for the blood of the sayar, you know, and that seemed very odd to us. Like that's what they got confused about. But the sprinkling, they really seemed to understand well. And so now it's interesting for them to sort of take a step back to say, like, but was our learning about this correct? How we got to it, did it actually make sense? And I think they're sort of convincing themselves, like, well, we know what the answer is. We know what the halacha is going to be. So even though we maybe use the methodology that one could question, here are all the reasons we're going to give you about why this methodology was actually okay. And so I think what they're trying to emphasize here is that it's not just the bottom line halacha that's important, but the process of how they got to it. Like the 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 interplay between the, you know, Torah Shabbat with the Torah Shabbat is so valued by the Gemara that they're not just willing to say like, oh, here's how we learned it. And OK, this sort of makes sense. They really want to say, was this a valid way to actually learn that? And I think that's something really important to pay attention to about how the Gemara views itself and how it views Mitrash Halacha. So I think that you're completely right. And I think that the next bit of the Gemara kind of comes along to knock it all down, right? All of this is uh, heckish this and heckish that is an attempt to arrive at the conclusion via different kinds of what I'll call Gemara logic, right? It's not the same thing as mathematical logic, but the, there are rules for heckish and how it's going to work. And we're going to say, okay, a half heckish, a full heckish, it's going to work. Except for then, the Gemara continues and says, Tana, there's a, a learning, a sage taught. The claim here is that when the Kohen Gadol comes to sprinkle that blood, he is not actually sprinkling it on the curtain at all to begin with, but he's sprinkling it opposite the curtain. Which, you know, should answer the people who are concerned that the curtain, you know, just ends up getting really dirty and sticky and icky. Um, if you're sprinkling opposite the curtain, maybe it's not such an issue. But what we have here is a very different kind of authority. The, the Gemara is introducing a very different kind of authority. And I, it seems to me that it's kind of a counter on the, on the learning acumen of the Hekesh. Amarila is a Rebiosi. 
Ani re'itiha baromi. Rebelzer, the son of Rabbi Yosef, said, I saw that curtain in Rome. So this is, you know, the power of the eyewitness. It's the power of the fact that Atana, who traveled to Rome, right, Rebelzer is Atana. He ends up in Rome at a time when the, I suppose he had access somehow to see the the vessels and so on from the Beit HaMikdash that had been destroyed, meaning this can't have been a joyous showing, right? But at the same time, it's a it's testimony, right? He wasn't around in the Beit HaMikdash, but he saw the curtain in its destruction. And what does he say? He says, I saw there were some drops of blood on it. Shall par v'sa'ir shall yomakipurim. He says, I saw the, the on the curtain there were several drops of blood from the par from the bull and from the seir from the goat of Yom Kippur, meaning his his answer is to this Tana who says he doesn't sprinkle it on the curtain he sprinkles it across in the curtain against the you know uh, on the opposite side of the curtain so he says no I saw blood on the curtain so I don't think that he's really arguing with the points that you made about the hekish in terms of their content. Yerdena, but I think that what we have here is a juxtaposition of, of you know, uh, maybe juxtaposition is not the right word. There are two parallel cases of very different kinds of learning, very different kinds of authority. And in this, you know, Rebelezer's um, answer to the Tana who says that he sprinkled the blood opposite the curtain should be just taken as a given, right? That's what we would expect because, hello, he saw it with his own eyes. It had some blood on it. It must have been the blood from the from the bull and from the goat of Yom Kippur. And so then the question is, of why isn't it quite, uh, why isn't it just like, okay, now we're done with the story, but we're not done with the story because the Gemara questions it. Maybe it wasn't the, the bull from... Um, the day of Yom Kippur. And maybe it wasn't the goat from the day of the Yom Kippur. Maybe it was a blood from a different bull, a bull of Paralem Davar, which, by the way, it's very intriguing to me that the assumption is that if you could tell blood at all, if you could identify blood at all, you could identify that that is the, the blood of a bull as compared to the blood of a goat. And of course, the reason I find this interesting is not only because I myself could not tell the difference, but because in we saw it two days ago three days ago, that there was a question of the pillars. You might get confused over which blood was which. So it's not so obvious to me that they knew exactly which was which. Um, but the point is that just because you have blood on the parochet, it doesn't automatically mean that it's Yom Kippur blood. It could theoretically have been some other kind of blood where there was also sprinkling on the curtain. So the Gemara goes on to say, the Chazid Avide Kisidran. So the Gemara says, no, he saw the sprinklings of the blood which were performed in their order, one drop after another, meaning so that you that that it it appears in a different pattern than than other uh, sacrifices sprinklings would have had. And then likewise, there's a Mishnah that talks about this particular case of a paralem davar, meaning if you got the whole the whole of everybody does a communal sin, and then he sprinkles the blood, what happens? The claim here is the blood would not touch the curtain. But if it did, if it did, it, and it doesn't invalidate the service, the point being, don't worry about the Paralem Devar as a contradiction to the claim that he saw the Yom Kippur, um, the Yom Kippur blood. But on the other hand, because you can ask that question, his position is not taken quite as, 
as um, factually, like as a given, as you might expect. And then we seem to have another version of the same text. I remember Baromi. Meaning, we have the same version of him saying, I was in Rome, I saw the curtain, I saw blood on the curtain, but this time the version, the text says that he saw blood, not from the Yom Kippur blood, but from the Parha Elem Davar and a goat of Avodah Zara, an idolatrous worship using a goat. So he says, well, how could you know that that's not Yom Kippur blood of the same kinds of animals? And the answer is because presumably he says they were not performed in their order so that the sprinklings seem to be from a communal, the communal sin offerings and not the sequence that you would expect to see with this very specific pattern of Yom Kippur, which altogether is a very interesting, again, like we're going to assume that we've got eyewitness testimony, which is, it's considered absolutely valid, except for the fact that if you can run a counter argument as to why it would appear the way that it does, then you've knocked it down. You haven't knocked it down in terms of truth. You've knocked it down in terms of applicability to something else because you've called into question the absoluteness of what he's described. I just find it interesting, this whole piece about seeing the parochet in Rome. Um, it's just kind of like laid there on the page and, you know, no kind of attempt, no one thinks it's like a big deal, but I think for modern readers, it's like really a big deal, you know, and plays into all these theories about where some of the Kalim or things of the Beit HaMikdash are. Um, and, you know, it's clear that it was clearly taken to Rome. <laughs> also, by the way, why didn't the Romans clean it? That's a great question. Um, Meaning, well, I not- saw some... Some commentators yeah. say that some of the blood, that part of what they're questioning here is maybe the blood was the blood of idolatry. That like, you know, idolatrous sacrifices were put on it. Um, and that's what, that's the blood that they're saying that that was not, in other words, there's that possibility. That So maybe right. that is that they used it, you know? Okay, I can accept that. I just feel like, but even so, like we talk about how did it get cleaned in the Beit HaMikdash? meaning after this day, right? Whatever day it is that they're sprinkling on the on the parochet, eventually it gets cleaned, whether it's cleaned in a supernatural way or it's cleaned in a very physical, practical way, there is a concern that this not remain soiled for, you know, all eternity. And it seems well, like- remember I, also <laughs> the parochet was, was swapped out often. Remember? We learned that yeah, in Scotland. It was like- right. Yeah, so like when I first read this, I was like, oh my God, that curtain must have had like so much blood on it. But remember, it was basically swapped out yearly. So um, so it was kind of a new one every year. Yeah, yeah, even so. Even so, you would not leave a bloody anything in your house for a year. Right, but I think that's how he was able to see that it showed one up and seven down. Because in other words, it's not all over the place for many, many years of use. I understand. Yes. Okay. So I just want to read one little bit more, which is actually moving on. It's again, kind of talking about authority, but in the opposite way, right? Because what happens if they talk about this, the Kohen Gadol, and what happens if the blood of the par became mixed with the blood of the goat before he's done with all the sprinklings? And then what you're going to see is going to be a mixture of the up and the down, and it's going to count for both of them. It's going to be incorrect. Amruha kamei de Rebbe Yirmiya. They said this answer before Rabbi Yirmiya. Rabbi Yirmiya is an Eretz Yisrael um, Amora, right? He's living in Eretz Yisrael. Amar, 
He says, foolish Babylonians. And of course, we love this because this feud kind of thing between Babel and Eretz Yisrael is well known. And that there's a, it's a little bit of a kinat sofrim, right? There's a certain amount of, um, we're going to outlearn you kind of thing. And there's also a certain amount of pride of place that the, the scholars in the land of Israel feel like, but we're the scholars in the land of Israel. And you, foolish Babylonians, you're coming up with ideas that don't make any sense. Why? They live in a dark land. They speak dark halachot. There's no logic to what they're saying. right? Because the problem is that if you follow that rationale, that, he, that they got mixed, the blood of the two animals got mixed, and then the mixture got sprinkled, then he's presenting upward the goat before he does the downward of the bull, and that's exactly where Haka Yahiv Makme Matadapar, that's what I've just said. But Torah Amra, but the Torah said, The Torah says in Vayikra Tedzayan, the sixteenth chapter of the book of Leviticus, when he is finished atoning for the sacred place, I mean he starts with he has to first do the bull and then only then come to the goat. So don't talk about them getting mixed up because clearly he didn't get mixed up because that would invalidate the entire thing. According to Revirmi and Eretz Yisrael, who's knocking the suggestion that came their way from the Babylonians. Um, which, you know, again, it's, it's, um, it's talking about authority, right? It's trying to establish the authority here of logic, of biblical verse, and certainly, you know, the scholarship of the land of Israel over the scholarship of the land of Babylonia. We always see these little digs. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a doozy of a one on, on this staff today. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this staff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>